All right. So we're going to continue in our conversations on the road to Emmaus, which means, in case you don't know, this is a dialogue, not a monologue. So you get to share. In fact, we're going to lead out that way with a question. Um, we are going to talk about, you guys made these requests and fired these requests in. So my first question is to get some feedback on the request that was made with this topic. We're going to talk about spiritual life and loss this morning, which I confess is a little bit of a heavy topic. Um, there are no easy answers. There are no simple answers to dealing with loss. But I want to ask you this question. How does experiencing loss impact your spiritual life? What is, if, you've, if you've been through loss, how has that affected you spiritually? What is your experience? Or if that's a little too close to home for you, how do you think that would impact somebody's spiritual walk? We can temper it a little bit that way. How does loss or grief impact your spiritual walk? Right. Weakness in the moment, strength later. Okay. Sounds reasonable. I'm sorry, Sally. Speak up a little bit. Okay. Okay. So it actually deepened your spiritual life. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. So we question, when it happens, what does everybody say? Why God kind of thing, right? I mean, that's the obvious first response to any major shocking announcement or loss. But what I'm hearing from you is it ends up deepening your spiritual life. Well, I would never wish loss on any of you so you grow spiritually. I'll just wish for you to grow spiritually. (laughs) You know what I mean? All right, so, because the question was, somebody asked, you know, can you deal with, Faith walk and carrying around loss or grief. Can I just say this? I'm just going to put this out there and say it because we don't say this in church often enough. This was not the way it was meant to be. Right? If you've, if you've ever experienced a painful loss in your life, it was not part of God's plan. And nine times out of ten, if you go to a funeral or if you meet with somebody after they've gone through this, what is the first comforting thing we feel like we need to say it's it's all part of God's plan right God will work it out (laughs) pain loss disease death were not part of the original design period and there is something in our soul that makes us go this is not how it's supposed to be and you're exactly right in fact It's the the fact that God has imprinted in our life that there is a way that it ought to be is one of the reasons we go, this ain't right. It's not supposed to hurt like this. It's not supposed to be terrible like this. Something's off. And that's a great spiritual truth. You're right. The world is not the way it was meant to be. Our hearts break in the middle of tragedy. Our hearts break for people who are going through tragedy, right? Even if you've never personally experienced deep loss... When you hear the story, when you hear about the tragedy, when you hear about something, somebody you know who's experiencing loss, your heart breaks for them. Because we know it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be painful like this. It's not, in fact, the very act, the very event of death has everything to do with a fallen world, not God, part of God's original design. 
right? If you go, I always go back to Genesis on this stuff. But in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were never originally designed to die. That was not the intent. The intent of the garden was a people of God in perfect relation with God forever. Because what does he say in Genesis 3? Now because of sin, you will surely die. Our body and soul were never meant to be separated. It's not part of the natural order. It's not part of the original intent. It's not supposed to be this way. That's why when you start looking at Revelation and you start looking at a returning Jesus, what happens? We're resurrected. We're given a body. When Jesus is resurrected from the dead on Easter, he has a physical body. He eats fish with the disciples. Soul and body separated was never part of God's original intent, which means death is disruptive to the plan. That's why it's so painful. Missing our loved ones is a consequence of sin. It's a, it's a repercussion from the fall. Not from the person's life of sin, but it's a fallout for what Adam and Eve did when they took the fruit. Cancer was not part of the equation in the Garden of Eden. Hurricanes, I don't think, were part of the original design. Isn't that interesting to say that in Mississippi where we deal with Katrina and all the things that have happened? I'm not sure if we'd have storms like that without a fall. I don't know. Something wholly changed about the world we, we live in when sin entered. It disrupted things. And our heart cries out when we see somebody experience it, and certainly when we go through it, this is not right. This hurts. This is not how it's meant to be. But there is some good news in the scripture. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This writer of Psalm promises us that God is near the brokenhearted and delivers the crushed spirit. Now, as you guys pointed out rightly, when you find out about the loss, when you find out about the tragedy, when you experience it, God doesn't feel awfully close. Right? In fact, our default switch is, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Probably even anger towards God. Why did you let this happen? Why did you make this happen? Why is this part of your plan? Because you know, people are telling me you have a divine purpose in all this. Maybe, but that's not, the, that's not comforting in that moment, right? God may be working. May, all of you said when I asked, how does it affect your spiritual life? I'm deeper because of it. I'm more spiritually mature because of it. Then, okay, we could honestly say there is a purpose in the loss experience. Or God does work something out in that experience. But in that moment of loss, we don't feel it. And we certainly don't want to hear it. Oh, he wanted me to go through this? I don't love that God. I mean, that's an honest answer, right? In that moment, the thought that God either allowed or purposed this could make you pretty angry at God. In fact, one of the reasons a lot of people don't choose to follow Christ is because of the loss they've experienced in their life. And, and they say what we say in a different way. No, if God existed, he would not let this happen. And so their default belief is God must not exist or this wouldn't have happened. So it's a different spin on the way we interpret it, right? 
We know that God's with us in the middle of it. He uses it to draw us closer to him. Those things you're saying is true. Somebody who apart from Christ just sees an angry, vindictive God that let their loved one die. And so he either doesn't exist or he's mean. And I don't want to worship that God. And so they blame God for the bad thing, and that gives them an excuse to hold him at a distance and to cut him off. And honestly, even as believers, we can feel that way in the middle of loss. Right? We can question, like you said this, I questioned it at first, right? And then I, I grew deeper because of it. But at first, in that moment, you're like, the world's coming to an end. I can't live without this person. This is not, your, your soul knows this is not the way it ought to be. And if God let it happen, then he must not be paying attention. The good news is, God is near the broken hearted. How do you think God responds to us being heartbroken? Really, how do you think God internally responds to your heartbreak? Huh? Feels it, yeah. What'd you say? Absolutely. I mean, he says he's near, right? It's our famous saying at Connection, best of all. Wait a minute. We say at Connection every Sunday that best of all, God is with us, even when we're experiencing loss. We don't just say that because it sounds good and see you next Sunday. It's a spiritual, theological way of orienting your life. That when you're rebelling, He's near you. When you're worshiping, Him is near you. And in Psalm 34, 18, He says, when you're brokenhearted, He is near you. He is always with you. I think I've told you. I, I mean, I was a youth pastor for a long time. One of my favorite things to tell teenagers was, is God's near you even on Friday night. <laughs> you get up on Sunday morning and you get forgiveness for everything you did, but he saw it all happen anyway. <laughs> He's with us all the time. We forget, or maybe we don't feel it. Or maybe we don't want to know that we don't want to think of him as being near us in that particular moment because we don't want him to see what we're doing. But the scriptures are pretty clear. God's everywhere. He's all-knowing. There's a passage in the New Testament that says he knows how many hairs are on your head. He certainly knows what you did Friday night. <laughs> Teenagers just go, don't tell me that. It's like, go on a date like God's sitting in the middle of the seat because he is, you know. Oh, he's always with us. That ought to be a source of comfort when we experience loss. The fact that He's near our broken hearts, the fact that He saves our crushed spirit is a spiritual truth we can at least find rest in when we're going through loss. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't make everything okay. You're good. God's with you. Okay, cool. Now I don't have to grieve you. That's not how it works either. But we can take comfort at least for a moment in the promise of that passage. And you're right when I ask you, well, how does God respond? I would say that God's heart breaks with you. Because this is not what he originally intended, right? But he can certainly use it to turn it in another direction, to draw us closer to him. It chases some people away, it does. But for others, when you're hurting like that, when you're grieving like that, the only thing that's always, the only constant in your life is that God knows what you're going through too. I mean, think about it. For those of you who have experienced this, let me ask you this question. What has somebody done right or what has somebody done wrong when, you, when they're with you during that experience? Like, what's a 
good thing that somebody did for you when you were experiencing loss? What's something that you wish they hadn't done? Let's learn from each other on this one. I think it's natural to talk to and grieve. Yeah. But some people are uncomfortable with that. Sure. Yep, absolutely. What are you going to say? Just being there to sit with you through the That's what they do that's right, right? Yeah. Yeah, th- there's that moment. If you're with somebody who's gone through loss, what's the pressure internally? Have the right words to say to make them feel better? Like, what can I do to ease your pain is the, the empathetic response, right? The problem is most of our responses, as empathetically motivated as they are, just don't land that way. Yes. I just had a, a former student who's five year old in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, drunk driver hit him on the side of the car and killed a five year old immediately. And I, I wrote her a card because you couldn't find a sympathy card that no. really that fits that situation. I'm a big fan of blank cards. Put some pretty artwork on the front and let me write what I want to say on the inside. It's a lot less work for you as a writer. Just do some artwork and send me the card, and I will, do, I will put my heart on the inside. I'm with you. Sympathy cards. I mean, even birthday cards, like, yeah, that's not what I want to say. I mean, like, how long does it take you to find the right card that says what you really feel about that? Just give me a blank so I can write what I want to write. It's more meaningful anyway. But there is. There's this internal drive that we feel like in a moment when somebody has experienced heartbreak or loss, that there's some burden on us to fix it for them to say the right thing, to say the magic words that will ease their pain. Let me just go ahead and be candid with you. There are no right words. I mean, Sally said it. She goes, just being there was the thing that was right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Presence has more power than what you say. Because most of our comforting things are like, it was part of God's plan. Oh, yeah, so I'm a single mom of two now because my husband tragically died. That was part of God's plan? Sure. You know, my five-year-old died tragically. Yeah, God designed that. I don't want that God. It's awful. We mean it empathetically. Like, God's here for you. He's going to work this out. We just don't want to, in that moment, we don't want to hear it. it. It makes sense later. And it's good to hear later. It's comforting to hear later. And when we experience some of that divine working out, it feels better to know that God did something from the loss. But in that moment of pain, it doesn't feel good. And so we have to kind of figure out, like, one of the best ways we can love somebody in the middle of loss is literally by being present. We're getting ahead of myself, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's, that, is a, that is to hear a pastor say that. As a pastor, people I barely know, I go to a funeral, what do I say to families I don't know? You know what I mean? Like, how do I minister in that moment? Hi, I'm Charlie. I've never met you before. You're in the worst pain in your possible life. I'm just going to sit here and be present. Like, what do I say? I'm sorry for your loss. What else can you say, right? It's like, man, that's tough. And you don't know if they're really with the family. When you're pa- inside pastor's brain, inside introverted pastor's brain for a second, are they part of the family who experienced the loss or are they just standing next to the family who experienced I don't know if I'm supposed to say I'm sorry to you or you or you. <laughs> it's just, it's awkward world for me, okay? I'm just telling you, I'm just being candid. Like, I don't know what to do in those circumstances. I have no idea. I have to go, God, help me. I mean, that's literally how I roll as a pastor. I'll be happy to do your funeral. You know what I mean? Like, it's just awkward. Because we don't know, but there is some, something inside of us that makes us want to fix. And that's okay. 
In fact, that's probably the very biblical definition of compassion. That desire to fix and comfort and be with and say the right thing is probably the spirit moving you to compassion. It's just none of us are very good at it when it comes down to it. So what we're going to do to kind of draw this and deal with spiritual life and loss is we're going to look at Jesus. That's kind of an obvious one, right? But we're going to look at a passage where Jesus had to deal with loss and look at what he did and draw a couple things from that. So look at John chapter 11. This is the story of a guy named Lazarus who died. And we're going to draw from that stage by stage here. So this is the first six verses of chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who, who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said... This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory. Even Jesus said God's going to work out a plan. It is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Hey, Jesus. Oh, God's going to work something out with this. He's going to be glorified in it, and I'm going to stay two more days. Of course, he's Jesus. He knows what he's doing here, so I'm not going to critique the style, but he just does everything I just said we ought not do, <laughs> right, to some degree. I mean, so he finds out he's ill. He goes, it's going to work out, don't worry, and hangs out two more days. Have you ever felt when you're going through loss like God didn't move fast enough for you? But that's the complaint. Like, maybe you've been grieving for a season, and you're like, God, can you take this away now? I'm done. Can you come now and fix this? God's not moving quick enough. He's not solving my problem before it becomes a bigger problem. He's not moving. I need God to move. Jesus clearly knows what's up and what's happening. There's a lot going on in the passage, right? There's a lot happening in this story. Lazarus, his dear friend, is sick. They're, 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 reaching, they're sending a message to Jesus. Hey, can you... Because how many times has Mary and Martha... Seeing Jesus heal somebody who's sick and make somebody who couldn't walk, walk. Lazarus is sick. What's your assumption as Jesus' disciple? Your dear friend Lazarus is sick. If there's a highway, Jesus is getting on it, right? Like, of course, he's going to come and help. It's Lazarus. It's home team. What does Jesus do? Hangs out for two more days. It's an interesting response to your, your best friend's pretty sick. Could you come check him out? This is not good. There's, a, there's something else going on behind this story, though. The town where they live, Bethany, when Jesus, the last time Jesus was there, the religious leaders threatened to kill him. So there's the degree to which if he goes back or when he goes back or when he decides to go back, he's going to be risking his life to help Lazarus. Remember, the religious leaders don't like what Jesus is putting out there. They don't like his popularity. They don't like that he's turning their world upside down. And if he comes back around, they're going to find him and they're going to have him executed. We're not far from the events in John's gospel where that actually does happen. And so the disciples are like, hey, you, you're going to go to Bethany? 
I mean, there's all kinds of dynamics happening in this story. It's not just Lazarus is sick. Look at verse 7. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going to go there again? So they're pushing back. Wait, they just tried to execute you the last time we were there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk in the night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. <laughs> Jesus wasn't talking about sleep, by the way. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So the message comes, Lazarus is sick, but we got to go back to Bethany, where they just tried to stone you to death. The disciples are a little anxious. Wait, you're going back? Who are they really worried about, by the way? <laughs> themselves. Yeah, Jesus, they just tried to stone you. What if we go back? We are in danger too, right? And Jesus goes, Lazarus has gone to sleep. And the disciples, who continue throughout the Gospels to not ever understand anything Jesus is up to, go, well, if he's asleep, he'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, if you go, go read any of the four Gospels, how many times did Jesus go, how long have you been with me that you don't have this figured out yet? Right? I mean, over, guys, if you've ever been in a moment, this is a sidebar for a second. If you've ever been in a moment in your spiritual walk, you just don't know what God's doing in your life and you're confused, you're in good company. The disciples who ate breakfast, lunch, and supper with Jesus and heard the original sermons vocally did not understand Jesus all the time. We got 2,000-year-old document translated a few times, and we con we're confused too. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> right? If they hear Jesus go, this is what I'm going to do, and they go, what are you going to do? Then no wonder we're confused sometimes. I'm just telling you that to give you peace of mind, right? It's okay to go, huh? To what God's doing or to what he's saying in the scriptures. It's okay to have doubt. It's okay to have anger in the middle of loss. It's okay to, not, to wonder if this is really what God wants to do or not do. Because the guys who hung out with him all the time were that confused too. They didn't get it. And they were with him all the time. So he's risking his life to go back. But he's going back for a reason, right? He's, he's said for the same time. You know, I, I, I started this whole sermon going, we, don't, we can't tell people, hey, it's God's plan because I can't hear it right. Jesus has already twice in this passage said, God's going to work this out. <laughs> so maybe there is some truth and some healing and some therapy too. God is in control. Maybe the way to say it is, God can handle the fact you're upset because he's heartbroken too. Maybe it's not that God has a plan, but maybe it's God's with you in this. And God is hurting too because this is not the way it's supposed to be. Maybe there is some truth to that response. Maybe there is a way to say it to somebody where they hear it different from your disaster. God figured out ahead of time to do that. Okay, so verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found, that, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Wow. So a little bit of time has passed because he waited too. 
Maybe it took two more days to get there, but Lazarus has been gone for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yes, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Okay, this is strategy number two that we do all the time. What does Martha say to Jesus about his timing? Hey, Jesus, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. What's wrong with you? You delayed two days, it took you two days, Lazarus is gone. Anybody ever look at God and go, why do you do this when I asked? Why didn't you respond on my timetable? The way I want it done now, five minutes ago. That's an honest response, isn't it? And so you go through a hardship. Hey, God... Why did you delay? Hey, Jesus, why did you not show up when you were supposed to show up? I know if you'd have come, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. They complained to Jesus in verse 21 about him not coming sooner. <laughs> They're complaining to Jesus. <laughs> okay, but they, they call Jesus out for not being on their timetable, not being on their agenda. And how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? Huh? Yeah, right. Yeah, he's like the traffic on the on the road with the camels was terrible. You know, like no. He said he called, He asks her about her faith, doesn't he? Because she says she does complain, but Martha is savvy. She knows Jesus well enough. How does she? She says, if you'd gotten here, Lazarus wouldn't have got through here. But I know that if you ask for anything, you'll get it because you're Jesus. She's almost as, almost as if she, Martha's almost as if she's saying, I know you could raise him from the dead if you wanted to. Right? I mean, that's kind of, she's got that much faith in what's happening. And so he says, so he looks at her and he goes, uh, uh, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, being the good spiritual student, she goes, yeah, 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 I know. When, one day we'll be back together. We'll be reunited. That's how she, like, your brother will rise again. He's like, yeah, I know. When you come back in the final day of resurrection, everybody will be back together. It'll be awesome. He goes, no, no, no. I'm the resurrection and the life. No, you, it's happening now. That's the subtext. She's right, isn't she? I know that one day everybody will be resurrected. I get that. How could that section that I just read, those verses, those seven, ten verses, how could those be a source of comfort if you experience loss?
Yeah. It, we're going to talk about this in a second, but one of the beautiful things about this is she does kind of complain a little bit, like, why don't you get here faster? And the comforting thing for me is my emotional responses to loss are okay with Jesus. My anger, my questioning, my doubt, my sense of injustice, he does have it in hand, but he also is okay with me unloading that on him. Because he doesn't correct her. He doesn't call her out for calling him out on his timing, right? He doesn't, say, I got, he doesn't say, I got here as fast as I could. He doesn't defend himself, but he also doesn't come after her for complaining. He can handle it. And for me, when I'm going through something that's that difficult, it is comforting to know that I can unload both barrels and Jesus is going to be okay. What's also comforting is his response. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll never actually die. Martha's right. One day you'll be resurrected. One day you'll be reunited with loved ones. One day you'll be reunited with Jesus. If you have faith in Christ. So there's two parts to this. I can be upset. And I can have comfort in fact knowing this is not the way it ought to be. And one day it's going to be the way it's supposed to be again. It's not the way it ought to be now. I said that at the outset. One day, it's going to be the way it's supposed to be again. Martha just said that, and Jesus basically affirmed it. That is a source. We know that God is with the brokenhearted. We know that God is with us. We also know that one day, He will make right what's gone wrong. And in the meantime, we can say anything we need to to Jesus, and He's okay. If that doesn't help you deal with grief, I get it, because grief is powerful. But I guarantee you that's the intent. Now, wrapping up this long story, Jesus then began... Oops, I skipped a passage. When, when, he, when she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. When she had heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still at the place that Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly. They followed her because they thought... She was going to the tomb to weep. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, same complaint, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So now Mary is going through it, right? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her were also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in his spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, this translation has four, four words. Most translations have two. Jesus began to weep. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? The whole group was like, where's he been? He's healed everybody else. But look how compassionate he is. He's crying too. He's experiencing the loss too. Mary gives the same complaint. Why didn't you get here fast enough to heal him? Guys, Jesus cried. Partly because his friends are hurting. Partly because he did care about Lazarus. In Matthew eleven thirty-five, 35, Jesus is living out Psalm 34, 18. God is near the brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted too. And what's ironic about that is Jesus knows what he's about to do. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and he's crying anyway. 
He's grieving anyway. He's grieving their pain. He's grieving that Lazarus had to die in the first place. He's hurting with them. God in heaven, Jesus on earth, man, God in, God in human flesh is hurting over the loss that somebody has experienced. Even though he knows he's about to fix it. That tells me that grief is a normal part of the human experience and it's okay. In fact, what's really interesting is that phrase in verse 34 where it says he felt great sorrow with them or great compassion with them or whatever. I think I've said this before in here if you follow connection at all, but there's a Greek word there I love to say, so I'm going to say it again. Splognitsomai. I love to say it because you can say it with your gut. You know what I mean? Like, splognitsomai means he felt compassion. If you go look at the Gospels on your own, you will find that Jesus felt great compassion for them. That phrase, that Greek phrase, happens almost every time right before he does a massive miracle. Feeding of 5,000. He saw that they were hungry on the side of the field. He felt compassion for them, and then he fed the 5,000. He feels compassion for Mary and Martha and those that were grieving. He cries with them. He felt that splognizomai, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. One of the really cool things about Jesus' miracles is what he is doing is he is reversing the effects of the fall when he does a miracle. Remember I said at the outset, death is not the way it's supposed to be. And so to resurrect somebody, to say that I am the resurrection and the life, he is saying I'm going to put right what is not the way it ought to be. And he does it in particular right here for his friend Lazarus. But that doesn't mean he doesn't experience loss and pain either. Which means Jesus knows how you feel when you experience loss and pain. It's right here in the text. He wept. He has felt what you feel. He has felt that pain that makes nothing else sound right and be right. And his response to it is to reverse it. If that's not a gospel message, I don't know what is. To take what's broken, to take what's messed up, to take what's twisted by sin and make it right. That's what he does. That's what he does. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was... It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been there for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you were always I know that you were all you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Even when Jesus is about to perform a miracle, there's resistance. Wait, Jesus, he's been there for four days. Don't roll the stone back. Even when Jesus is about to fix what they're grieving about, they're like, yeah, I don't like the way you're doing that. Is it possible that even when we're grieving, we may not like the healing that God provides? 
that we may resist what he's doing in our hearts. When we started this conversation, you guys were like, hey, I grew spiritually because of the death or because of the loss, right? But when you're doing the growing part, maybe you don't even like what he's doing inside of your heart. Some people, once they grieve, grief becomes a nice little pet, a nice little attention-seeking pet they don't want to let go of. And to heal means I can't carry that around anymore to get attention or to get love from other people. So I don't want to let go of it. I'm just going to grieve longer. And so when God heals, you're like, no, I, I don't have that anymore. I mean, it's, it's true. It's a psychological thing, but they carry it around like a pet. We'd, some of us do it with anger. I like being angry. I like having reasons to be angry. Give me a reason to be angry. It's comfortable. And so we may, we may resist God's healing in our life because it means we have to move on or we have to grow. They're trying, he's trying to raise Lazarus from the dead, and they're like, it might stink, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're still resisting rolling back the stone to bring Lazarus out. The last thing, and we said this earlier in our conversation, but I want to draw this out with a story. One of the best things we can do in the face of loss with somebody else is to be a presence. Mary and Martha had their friends that were crying around them. They had Jesus to reverse it. We don't have that necessarily, unless God raises one of your friends from the dead, but we don't have Jesus in the flesh here with us doing this stuff. Well, one of the best things we can do is presence. I was part of a church plant a number of years ago in Florida. And in the midst of planting this church with a friend of mine who was the pastor, his wife died tragically in the midst of the church plant. And I was in seminary at the time, and I had heard my practical theology professor say, when somebody experiences a death, just go be with them. And so I let that tape play in my head. And so I just went to his house that night into the living room. His three kids are there. He's there. His wife has died tragically. I'm there with him. Awkward. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. Kind of like I was saying earlier, I go to a funeral, like, how y'all doing? Sorry. You know, like, I don't know what to say. But I went because I'd heard that professor say that. And I was, I was just there. You know, there wasn't much to do. People were bringing food over. I was just kind of a presence. I thought it was awful. I was like, they probably want me to get the heck out of the house. Every time I see my friend, he brings up the fact I was there that night. He said, I still remember you coming to the house. I still remember you being there that night and I had to face that. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. I shouldn't probably be here. Every time I run into him again, he's like, I still remember you being there. We may not have Jesus saying, come forth when we experience loss, but we can be Jesus' presence with our friends who are grieving by just being there. By being present. Spiritual loss is a chance for us to be angry with God and be okay. To grieve with God and be okay. To expect God to comfort us and be broken hearted with us. But it's also an opportunity for us to be Jesus where, where they need us the most. Let's pray.